Well, good morning, everyone. This is the tract on soil health. If that wasn't the one you were planning on being in, then um, I'm not sure where the rest of them are, but that's the one we're going to have here. Let me, uh, let's go ahead and have a prayer, and then we'll, we'll get right into it here. Father in heaven, this morning I just pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that your spirit would overshadow my thoughts and my words, that your glory might be revealed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my technology failed me, so I don't have any of my PowerPoint presentations because we're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way. Um, hopefully 25 years of experience. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I'm tall, so they don't usually. Let me ask some questions. How many of you are gardeners? How many are farmers? That's a couple of farmers. How many of you have no idea what you're doing? <laughs> At ASI a couple of years ago, I, um, I was visiting a booth of a project in North Charlotte, North Carolina, and we were talking and he found out that I knew how to farm. And he said to me, he said, could you come help us in North Carolina? He said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just get on the tractor and I go out and go, but I just have no idea what I'm doing. Well, God's a, God doesn't want, out, want us out there not knowing what we're doing. He wants us to be fully informed and understand. You'll see in some of the other sessions that they're going to talk about the big three problems, weeds, disease, pressure, uh, insects, and various things like that. Well, in this in this tract here, we're going to get at the root cause of all of those things. Because as the Bible says, the curse causeless shall not come. There's a reason for these things. And in our modern agricultural culture, agricultural culture, yeah, that's, um, our solution is to do what the, the people of Israel did to the messengers that God sent them. What did they do to them routinely? They killed the messenger. And so the idea is that if we kill the messenger somehow or another, the problem goes away. But until we learn the lessons that God has for us, the problem won't go away. And God's goal for us is righteousness. It's holiness. And I believe that in what God has said and also in what God has done, what God has made, His righteousness is testified to. So in order for me, the title, we're looking at soil health. And the title of this track was supposed to be Some Seeds Fell, Understanding the Character of the Soil and Restoring the Image of God. And so there are a lot of voices out there saying, no, conventional agriculture is the way to do it, organic agriculture is the way to do it, biodynamics, permaculture, hydroponics, aeroponics, closed system, how many of you have heard the, uh, seen the, or heard about the, the video Back to Eden? How many of you tried it? How many of you did you work for? <laughs> the reality is, folks, that the devil is not going to give you the whole truth. He's just not going to give you the whole truth. And so we have all these voices out here. And, and please, if I say something and it offends you, I don't mean to offend you. But what I want to get to is what God is calling us to. And we have to stop listening to the voices of the world. We need to start listening to the Word of God. 
and the truths that are there if we want to really prosper to what God's called us to do. And so all of these schools of thought, all of these voices that you hear, which are confusing. The world is a confusing place. And it's confusing. Well, should I do this? Should I do that? Um, I could go down to, I do soil consulting besides growing. I've been growing for 25 years. And uh, just in the last couple of years, I actually started doing consulting, not because I went looking for it, because but because somebody came looking for me. <laughs> and uh, I now do several hundred farms. And unfortunately, it's taking so much time away from my growing that I'm either going to have to hire somebody or train somebody to do the consulting, or I'm going to have to hire somebody to do the farming. But I love farming, and so it may be the other way. I was going to try to shovel it off on Sean here, but he's now taken on a pretty big responsibility at, at Daystar Academy and has his work cut out for him there. We have to ask this question, what do, who do we listen to? Is there a model soil? Let me ask you some questions. When God told Noah to build an ark, did he give him a catalog of boats and say, pick the one you like the best? What did he do? He gave him a pattern to follow, didn't he? What about when Moses... What about when Moses was told to build a sanctuary? What did he did he do? Did he give him a catalog of houses and buildings and say, you, "Whatever one of those you like, that's what let's do that." No, he said, "Build it according to the pattern." I know we live in a world where everything goes, and everything's the answer. But the reality, folks, is is there's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one correct model. And when we look at that, so what we have to do here is we're going to spend the majority of this session actually trying to get a biblical and scientific basis for what we're going to establish as a model soil. Because that's what we, we want to know what God, you know, what God deems the correct model. Because the truth is Christ is our model. And so there's some criteria that we have to look at. And then once we have those criteria, then we can look and say, okay, what meets that? And then, we'll, then we're going to discuss what constitutes that model. And we actually have to go back to the beginning because we have to get some framework here. Well, let's go to actually to, um, to Matthew 13. If you have Bibles, you're welcome to follow me. But I want to go to the parable of the sower because we have to establish something else here too. Matthew 13, verse 3. You've all heard the parable of the sower. What is the, rather than me reading the whole thing, what is the problem in this parable? It's the soil. It's the character of the soil. It's the problem, right? It's not the seed. It's not the sower. It's the character of the soil. And this parable, you know, the Spirit of Prophecy points out that there's, there's, a lot in this parable that we never avail ourselves of. And the reality is that God spells out where the problem is right here. It's in our character. It's the character of our hearts. It's incomplete and imbalanced. And so let's back up now and let's go to the beginning. We're going to go to Genesis. And again, I have to, we have to establish you know, what is the basis of what I'm going to, talk, what I'm going to share and believe it or not, all of those problems that they're going to talk about, how they wrestle with them and all that stuff, when you restore a correct model, they go away. 
which is what they should do. They should go away. We're not about managing sin. We're not about managing disease and pest pressure and weed pressure. And I'm sure there's some of you out there saying, oh, come on, that can't be. But I've been doing this for 25 years, and I assure you, when God says what he says, he means what he says. And so let's go back to, um, sorry, let me get another paper here. Let's go back to Genesis, to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, that, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female. He created them. And God, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in whose image were we created? Let me read what the Spirit of Prophecy says. When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature. Was it just in his spiritual nature? No. It was in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature, a likeness to his Maker. God created man in his own image. It was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image and more fully reflect the glory of the Creator. What happened? Well, we could say, let's go, when God created the earth, after six days, what did he call it? Indeed, it was very good. So, was everything that God created good? And he created man in his image. What happened? Well, we're sharing here about agriculture and agriculture and education. You've been hearing some wonderful things. Um, God didn't put man in a garden for no reason at all. And I'll share with you in just a minute what happened when he left the garden. So when Eve, when Eve partook of the tree that she wasn't supposed to, and then Adam along with her, the image of God began to deform. The image of God began to be began to be lost, and what did what did God require of them after that? They had to leave the garden, didn't they? What happened while they were in the garden? They had face to face communion communion with with Christ, didn't they? There was direct direct communion with God Himself. When they left the garden, they left that. What else did they leave? In that garden, what God had made was a manifestation of his character as well. And all the myriad of beauty that was around them and the different things that grew, they got to, it was a classroom in which they were going to learn about this God that created them. When they left the garden, they lost that too. And they were outside of the garden. So as they left the garden, they lost their face-to-face -face communi communion with God both personally and, and through what he made. Not only through what he said, but what he made, what he did, and everything. And so they found themselves on the outside. Well, let's go down the stream of time. Some. Now, when they left, I imagine Adam and Eve, when they, when they left the garden, they didn't stray very far from the gate. Because that flaming sword that was there was not only there to keep them out, but it was also to show them the way back. And 
I'm sure they stayed close to it. Of course, you've heard some other things about what happens when you wander further away from it. But if we go on down through the stream, the stream of time here to Genesis 6, 6, what does God say about what he had done, what he had made in man? He repented of it because what was happening now? Every thought of the imagination was only evil continually, right? Deformity had come to a fully come. They were fully deformed now. The image of God was was gone from in a spiritual sense. It was gone, but man was still being blessed by what God had made in the earth and prospering. And you can read some of those things about the giants in the land and and things like that. And so they were their evil was being fed by the blessings of God and what he had given them. And so God destroyed the earth as a consequence of that. And so now what God had made was deformed. So now we have the image of God, both spiritually and tangibly, uh, incomplete and imbalanced. And you're going to hear me use those terms several times as opposed to complete and balanced. Going down through from there on out, you had, of course, a remnant. And through Shem, through Noah and then his son Shem, basically, essentially, God was simply holding his ground in a, in a corrupted world until he got to Abraham and he began restoring his image. And I want to, the reason I'm sharing this is because this is critical to what, what we're actually trying to do here. We're not trying to practice agriculture as some religious ritual to appease the vanity of God. It has a purpose in our lives in restoring the image of God in us. You move on down through the stream of time and through Abraham, God is beginning to restore his image in man. And from there you come to Christ and he fully restores his image, the character of God, spiritually, in reality, at the cross. But God's not finished. He now has to restore what he had made. There are two bookends to our prosperity in the restoring of God's image. One is the spiritual truths. Those spiritual truths give us the ability to know the how and the why of life. But if we don't have physical truths, if we're, not, if we're not nourished, if we don't restore what God has made, then we don't have the ability to do those things, to function physically. You, under, you understand that? And so, in the beginning, God said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was what God called us to do. What was he calling us to do? He was calling us to fill the earth with his glory, with his character, to learn you know, originally they had that communion face to face and we lost it. Originally they had the communion with it, what God had made, and they lost that. And we were in a mess. We were incomplete and we were imbalanced. And so what God is doing, what God has to do is he has to restore his image. Is that what he's calling us to? We go to the book of Revelation and you look there and it's when God's referring to his people, he says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they. To keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. What does that mean? What's God calling us to? 
he's restoring his image in us. Now, we get, we get all mixed up, and all this is really relevant to, what, to why we're doing what we're doing. We get all mixed up about the whole idea of sanctification and holiness and all those kind of things. What did Jesus actually do? What is he actually calling us to? Because we're degenerate, right? Our bodies are degenerate. The earth is waxing old like a garment. It's under the curse. What is he actually asking us to do in that, in that situation? What did Jesus do? Because if we don't understand what Jesus did, we don't understand what he's, he's calling us to do, what he wants to do with us. Because I have people say to me in practical terms, I'm a practical person. I'm, I don't like philosophical and abstract things very well. I want to know, how, how does this actually work? What is the cause and effect thing here? Maybe I ate too much dirt when I was a kid or something. Um, and so I, I want to know what, how, what did Jesus do for us? And what is he calling us to? And what he's calling us to, God is going to restore his image, his character in a degenerate body, in a world that is, in a world that is cursed. Now, let me just point out here that there are two things that God's going to have to do when he, when he comes the second time. What are those two things he's going to do? He's going to give us a new body, and he's going to create a new earth. See, because the reality is there's, there's on average, 20, a million weed seeds in every square foot of soil. A million weed seeds in every square foot of soil. And we are deformed. Corruption is in us. The earth is deformed. Corruption is in it. We have to, and remember it was shared, we don't, we don't always have control over everything, everything that goes on in this world. But we do have control over what we are. And so we have to um, get clear what's, what's going on here. Because we, I don't want to get anybody the idea, oh, that all of a sudden gardening is going to make us holy flesh or perfect or something in that way. Those things are going to have to wait till Jesus comes. But he is calling us to restoring his character. His image is going to be restored in our lives. And that same image that was in what he made can be restored as well. And so that's the model we have to look for. What is that, what is that model? Is it conventional? Is it organic? Is it biodynamic? Is it back to Eden? Square foot gardening? Is it high intensity gardening? I mean, the, the voices are, are myriad out there. So we have to establish some criteria. Okay. What is Jesus to us? He's everything, isn't he? He's everything. And, and, and the Bible makes it plain that without Christ, what can we do? Nothing. What about with part of him? If you don't have all of Christ, you don't have all of life. And so we have to have a model that is complete. Let's go back to, before I start that, let's go back to my definition of sin. Definition of sin is the transgression of the law, right? What does that mean? We get all philosophical about that and everything. Sometimes we try to hide behind philosophy because it tends to help us to avert actually having to be accountable to 
to some of these statements, but what does it mean to be in transgression of the law? It means you're incomplete and imbalanced. You're no longer in faith with God. You're no longer reflecting, fully reflecting the image of God. You're now reflecting some of your own image. And you have an incomplete and an imbalanced character. And folks, that's what we have in the soil. We have an incomplete and we have an imbalanced soil. And if we want to restore it, we have to restore just like we would restoring our character spiritually. And so we need to know what that completeness is. And we have to know what that balance is. What would be another criteria that you have to look at? One of the other criteria you'd have to look at is, is Jesus the answer for some of us? For the people in the United States? For the people that happen to live in countries that are Christian? For people that happen to live in here? Or people that have these this education level or that? Or is it for whosoever? So whatever model we look at, it has to it has to meet that criteria. It has to meet it has to be applicable anywhere. And I'm gonna transfer it over for any soil, any crop, anywhere in the world. Now there are a lot of things taught out there like, oh, this plant needs this type of soil and this plant needs that type of soil and you gotta change in earth. But is that true? There's a lot of things out there you, I discovered over 25 years that are just not really true. <laughs> um, what about the tree of life in the, gar- in the the new Jerusalem? How many manner of fruit were on it? Twelve. How many trunks were there? Well, it had its base on two sides of the river, but, but it was one. It was fed by one trunk. And so... Um, It'll be applicable across the board. Do you ever, if you're growing a garden, and you've got five, ten different things growing in that garden, do you dress, do you treat the soil five or ten different ways? Some people try to. <laughs> One of the things that I grow is blueberries. And if any of you know anything about blueberries, you'll always hear, oh, they have to grow on an acid soil. How many have heard that? They have to have an acid soil. Well, I'm one of those people who always says, why? Any of you have children, you have children and they get to that age and it's, why? Because, why? Because, why? 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 It's why. And, you know, I went, you know, this is what I do on all these things. When people say, well, this is the way it is, or that's the way it is. Why? And, you know, you there aren't any answers. That's just the way it is. Now, if you go looking, you'll see that there's reasons. The blueberry plant doesn't have root hairs, and so it's very vulnerable to drought, I mean, wet conditions. It prefers ammonium nitrogen. It has to have a lot of iron and manganese. Um, and they found it growing nat- naturally. They found it growing. In other words, they tolerated where it was growing in the Pine Barrens in Michigan and New Jersey. And then up in, up in New England, up in Maine, the wild blueberries with similar, similar conditions. They're very poor conditions. And it has to be acidic in order to get enough iron and manganese. And it, and that in an acid environment, ammonium nitrogen, which it prefers, doesn't convert to nitrate quite as fast. But the best blueberries don't grow in that soil. No. 
I went, uh, uh, another thing I went to see, well, how much did I expect to yield? Now, in the parable of the sower, which I didn't read, God actually points out some scientific realities in there, but if you didn't know those scientific realities, you wouldn't catch them. Where he says on that good soil, it'll produce 30, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. We're going to talk about what that means. But I went looking to see, well, what should I expect as far as yield goes? And I'm just going to pick this. We could talk about it in all kinds of crops. What should I expect as a yield? Well, in the, in the catalogs, you see sometimes they'll say 5 to 15 pounds. I talked to a nursery. They said anywhere from 5 to 35 pounds. I know growers getting 45 and 50 pounds. I've seen blueberry bushes with trusses of berries 24 inches long. Because we're not meeting we're not meeting the genetic potential that God's given us. We confuse epigenetics with genetics, um, which we're going to talk a little bit. Epigenetics with genetics. Maybe I'll give you a quick lesson in that because you know how the Bible talks about passing on the sins of the fathers to the fourth and the fifth, third and the fourth generation. That's not so much genetics; it's epigenetics. When the earth was destroyed, we'll get at another angle here too. When the earth was destroyed, it's all mixed up. And so you don't have a complete and balanced soil anymore. Some places, and, and uh, hopefully I can get them on my computer and we can get them up here so you can see them. I'm going to show you. Of all these hundreds of soils that I've done soil work on, there's not one righteous, not one. <laughs> and, and some are better than others, but there are some that are pretty bad. And the reality is that what we're working with, what we are, is a, is a result that when you have the genetics of our parents and our grandparents and those influences, but we also have the epigenetics. We have the environmental influences. And if you, if you have children, you see some of yourself in those kids, don't you? Well, you ought to try doing what we do. We have four adopted children. It didn't come from our, our, our blood. It came from somebody else's. And you want to see you want to see that dis disposition, that propensity, things that are just foreign to us. We don't understand. You know, we we don't know where they came from. What we understand is, um, yeah, I should not probably not share that because this is being videoed and everything. So, anyway, but the reality is, let me give you an illustration of epigenetics. They did some research on with mice, and what they did is they put these male mice in a cage and they blew cherry blossom fragrance into the cage. And every time they blew cherry blossom fragrance into the cage, they shocked them. And so the, the, the male mice, the, these mice, adult mice, developed the sense that when the cherry blossom smell was blown into the cage, it was painful. That was, the, that was their response to a cherry. Now, has anybody smelled cherry blossoms before? It's a wonderful smell, isn't it? But they related it to pain. And so what they wanted to find out was, would it be passed on to the next generation? And so they took the male offspring of the next generation, they put it in the cage, and they blew cherry blossom smell in there. And guess what happened? All of those offspring cringed, expecting pain. Now, it's important that we understand this, because this is a big part of understanding a complete model as well, is that we're dealing with the, the dispositions that the soil has. We're dealing with propensities and the dispositions we have. So here's something that was good that was made evil. And so 
we can get in our minds through these influences that good things are evil and evil things are good. And we get all mixed up. And here we are right back, like I said, to this incomplete and this imbalanced situation where we're not clear about what reality is. And so you have to know something about that, that parent material, that epigenetic influence. So that's different than the genetic potential because I don't, I don't really know that the genetic genetics have been that damaged. And actually, they've demonstrated, there's been some demonstration scientifically that if a, if a child with defects is nourished properly, the body actually corrects those genetics that are damaged. Isn't that mind-boggling? There was a baby born out in Colorado at the University of Colorado Hospital. And they used nutrition on that. Now, I won't get into all that because that's we got so much to cover as it is. And, but... The reality was the, the baby's heart was not properly formed. It had all kinds of defects. And by properly nourishing that child, and this man, this doctor took this case on, you know, for free. And by properly nourishing that child, its heart actually finished filling out and forming. Now, this all stuff sounds wild to you. And I share things sometimes, but this is down the road. We don't, I don't want to put this. We just don't believe God and what he'll do. But when his, when his image is restored, a lot of things get restored. But now one of the things we need to remember is that these epigenetics, this disposition that we have, if you walk away from that constant infilling of righteousness, guess where it's going to go? That's why God has to give us a new body and why he has to create a new earth because it'll go right back to what it was before because that's his disposition. That's what it's made up of. And we can put the right character there, but as that character fades away, it's just going to go right back to where it was before. So this model, it has to be applicable to, every, to everyone. And it has to be restorative. It has to be redemptive. It has to be reclaiming, repairing. It's not just a situation where we're going to manage the problem until Jesus comes. Jesus, also in Revelation, it talks about in the same area, that, that same area of Revelation, where we, that Revelation 14 and 4 and 12, that what are those, what are those people doing? They're following the Lamb wherever he's going, right? Is God in the, is Christ in the holy place anymore? He's not in the holy place anymore. He's in the most holy place. And what's he doing there? He's cleansing the sanctuary. In other words, he's restoring his image in man. And so we're not, we're not looking for a model that's simply going to manage problems. We, we've got enough of that. That's what, that's what most of the, the schools of thought, the, the philosophies actually do. They manage the problem. And regrettably, they manage it um, at the profit of human suffering. And so we don't want that. So it has to be complete. It has to be balanced. It has to be applicable universally. In other words, it doesn't matter what soil you're working with. Now, there are people in this room who have, and one sitting right on the front row here, that have some pretty complicated situations. And, 
And uh, he once shared with me that the model came up against the wall. And I said, the model didn't come up against the wall. Our limitations or our resources or our willingness to commit to restoration came up against the wall. Because God never comes up against the wall. There's no hopeless case in, in his case. Now in ours, you might you might look at that soil and you say, well, there's so many problems here and it's just going to cost too much money. It's going to be too complicated to do anything about. Well, that may be so for us. But if we're looking at it from a spiritual perspective, from a spiritual reality, anything can be fixed. I mean, I hope so, because some of us are pretty messed up. <laughs> Some of us take a lot of work, and we're going to see as we as we look at, at this model that there are some of us that are we're so weak that we can barely hold the amount of character of Christ that can keep us fruitful. And so we have to stay really close to God, really close, because it takes that constant input and support from God. And then there on the other other spectrum, there are some of us that are highly talented, highly productive, highly capable, but we're imbalanced. And so some of that, some of those situations, it gets very expensive. It's it's simple. The solution with the the, the weak soil, with that very potent soil, very capable soil, it can get very complicated and very expensive. And the, you know the thing is that we admire those soils, those people because they're highly talented and we look at them and say, wow, what an evangelist or what a pastor or what a doctor or what a lawyer. But if we could see behind the closed doors, and I have personal experience with this, we would see physical abuse of spouses and children. We would see alcoholism, drug addiction, and all kinds of things like that because they're not balanced. Parable of the talents, God gives different people different talents, doesn't he? And what does he expect of the one he gave one? To return an increase on the one. And to the one he gave five, he expected to return an increase of five. So there's a lot of lessons that you learn when you see a correct model. You'll start seeing some of these principles are actually helping us to understand what God is actually saying. What's he actually trying to to help us with? Um, So we need completeness, we need balance, we need restorative, and it needs to be universal for for everyone. Now, I know, I don't know what all of you practice. I don't know if, you know, how many people are organic and want to be, or want to be organic. Um, how many people, you don't know what you are yet, um, or what you want to be. There, there might be people in here that are, we have to kind of look at those. And again, I want you to understand that, you know, we do the best that we can. And some things sound more reasonable than others. But we have to really look at these look at these approaches and say, what do they have and what do they not have? I want to, there's, um, let me just draw something. I'm not going to be the board, but I want to draw it. I would have had it up on the board. This, this is the pie chart of the ideal soil. You'll see it in, in college textbooks. In soil science books, you'll see it in gardening books, everything. Now, if that's the ideal soil, so what's the next question? 
if I don't have that ideal soil, how do I get there? You know, if you sat in a university soil, now I shouldn't say this, I, I don't know if this is completely true anymore because some of them have changed a little bit, but if you were to set at a university level agronomy class and they would give you this pie chart and then you as a naive freshman would raise your hand and ask, okay, well, if we don't have that, how do we get it? You know what your answer would be? Anybody want to hazard a guess? We don't know. We don't know. Well, how do you know that's the ideal soil? <laughs> um, organic matter. Sorry. Um, I just wrote it really fast. But the, the truth is we do know. And God gave us counsel. You're hearing all these things in these, uh, in these presentations already. I was sharing with Sean, I was wondering, how much do we need to hear before we'll acknowledge that God's got it right? And um, the truth is that we do know how to get that. And it was understood nearly, nearly, yeah, it's going on nearly 100 years ago. In the 1920s and the 1950s. Yeah, no, I didn't fill in a little bit of the details there. So so what this is saying is if you take soil, you want half of it to be solid material. Of that 40 to 45 percent mineral content, five to ten percent organic matter, and then the other half is airspace. And in half that airspace, half of that you want filled with water and half you want filled with air. And they know that that's the ideal soil. They do know that that's the ideal soil. But they don't know how to get it. Or I should say, they don't bother to know how to get it. Because there's an entirely different agenda that's, that's um, pushed on society through conventional wisdom. And it has more to do with the merchants of the earth waxing rich than it has to do with the healing of the nations. So, this is a general picture of that ideal soil but then you have to go and you have to look at each one of them and they're going to be talking about and i'm not going to talk about it. if you have questions about it i'm not going to talk about particularly how to deal with wheat you know with particular weeds or particular diseases or particular pests because you know what happens when you get that they go away they go away or they become so insignificant that it's not a concern anymore now i'll have a lot of people argue with me about that but i've i've lived it and I know other people that have lived it. And so that's what should happen from the right model. As sin should go away. It should go away. The question was, why would the weeds go away and the plants grow well? The weeds won't just grow go away. Remember I said there's a million weed seeds in every square foot of soil? Guess what they like too? They like that. But you know what the difference is? The good seed that you put in there, one, first of all, you're mindful of the fact that there's a million weed seeds. We don't wait to find out that there's a million weed seeds there. We know in our own lives there's a million weed seeds there. We know, and each soil will produce different types of weeds. Why are they producing different types of weeds? You know, people ask me, we're going to get into soil testing later. Sean will cover a lot of that. Um, but people ask me, well, why do I have to take a soil test? Can I just learn 
Isn't there some other way to do it? There seems to be this aversion to taking a soil test. I may address that later. But, um, and I said, yes, there is. We have a heritage knowledge in the agricultural community that's rapidly dying. But you can look at the plants that are growing there. You know, there's old sayings like, the, the field walks easy. You know what that means? It gives under your foot. When you walk on the dirt, it gives under your foot. Or it's hard when you walk under it. Has anybody ever walked on the ground and it kind of gives under your foot? That tells you something about the character of the soil. If it's hard under your foot, when it gets wet, how thick does it stick to your boot before you can kick it off? That tells you something about the character of the soil. You can look at things happening to the plants, and you can tell about the character of the soil. See, weeds grow because they can tolerate those conditions. Let me just give you some illustrations. When the soil gets, and it relates to every one of those, we're going to talk about every one of those aspects because you have to have them all. If you don't have all of them, you're going to have some problem or another. But weeds grow where the, char where the character of the soil allows them to grow and where good seed cannot compete. You don't have the conditions for the good seed, so these weeds outcompete the things that you sowed. That's one of the soils in the parable of the sower, isn't it? Where the thorns and the thistles come up and they choke everything out. And believe me, I've worked, when I was out at Eden Valley, we had such high potassium levels and high magnesium levels that the weed seeds would just germinate like crazy and you'd, cul you'd cultivate stuff up and you'd come out the next morning and look like a rooter right back in and going again. But if we didn't change the conditions, guess what was going to continue to happen? But there's a reason it's happening. Um, Taproot plants like thistles, bindweed, dandelion. Usually you have condition where you don't have the calcium is down deep. There's not enough up on the surface. And so it can go down into the ground after it. And the other plants can't do that. They have the mechanism. Now these, this, these are really the forgiveness of God. We call them weeds. But if you let those weeds do their thing, eventually they would push themselves out because they would restore balance. Nature is always trying to obey God. We interfere with it. And so nature is always trying to obey God. But you can look at, there, there's books written on this. You can get these resources. There's books written on it. And you can look at the weeds that are growing there, and it'll tell you the, the, the characteristics of that soil. Some other weeds grow because of the, the hormone and enzyme systems are not functioning right. And you get compaction in the soil. And guess what happens? You lose the aeration of the soil. That warm, moist breath of life cannot get into that ground and, and let it grow. And so the rhizome-based grasses and some of those weeds, they'll grow. And what stimulates them to germinate? The methane and the ethane and the butane and everything, all these anaerobic compounds that will be generated because of the anaerobic conditions produced because of compaction. And it'll stimulate those weeds to grow. And those weeds will work on trying to break that, break that up. So, but these are all things that grow because of incompleteness and imbalance. And so if you were to sow seeds there, and you didn't do anything about this, the thorns and the thistles are going to come up and they're going to choke them out. It's not that the good seed, that the, these plants wouldn't love healthy soil. They would. And so you have to go in and you have to cultivate. You have to anticipate the fact. You sow the good seed, and then you go and you cultivate, and you, you suppress this. I'll just give you a few little things just to maybe finish up here just in relation to this. Plants actually put a suppressant out an auxin out of their roots. And so when it germinates, the root begins putting an auxin out. 
and it suppresses the germination of any other seeds. Sanctification is, uh, we'll, we'll get to it, sanctification is illustrated in the soil. In spite of those million weed seeds that are there. But in a fertile soil, in a completely, a complete and balanced soil, the amount of oxen put out by those roots will last about six to eight weeks. Long enough for that plant to grow up and start canopying the soil and overshadowing it and suppressing germination because it's blocking the light out from getting to those, those weed seeds. Guess how long it lasts in an in infertile soil, in an imbalanced, an incomplete soil? How long? About one to three days. So you see, when God, what, what God wants is when we, when we restore his complete character in our lives, whether it's in the soil or in our hearts, he gives us the means of overcoming. It's through him that he gives us the means of overcoming. And so the other thing is when that plant overshadows the soil and blocks out the light from it, those seeds, it'll continue to produce those suppressants, and those seeds can't express themselves. What's now being expressed? The Word of God is now being expressed. The character of Christ is now being expressed, and, and then we bring it to the fruitfulness of, of righteousness and everything. But if you don't have this, I, I need to share another example from Colorado. The state of Colorado decided that they were going to have an eradication campaign against Canada thistle. Does, that, does anybody know what Canada thistle? When I when I say Canada thistle, what I mean, it's a plant that puts out these thorny looking heads and big purpley kind of flowers. They're really pretty, but they're um, to a grower they're a nuisance. And uh, they decided they'd have a campaign to eradicate Canada thistle in the state of Colorado, and so they sprayed the whole state of Colorado with herbicides. They killed the Canada thistle, and they declared victory over the Canadian thistle until springtime. And guess what? It was all back all over the state of Colorado in the spring. Canada thistle was everywhere. Why? Why was it there? Because they didn't change the conditions. They didn't change the character of the soil. So we can kill things over and over. We can kill the messenger every time God sends them. But until we change our hearts, the same things are going to manifest themselves in our lives. The same things. And so we have to change the character of our hearts. We have to change the character of the soil if we want good seed to grow there. Seed is just a little package of truth. And when it's sown into that ground, it depends on that ground to provide it that same character, that same nourishment, so that it can grow up as a plant and bear fruit. If it doesn't have that character, there another thing that happens is the plant itself takes on the character of the soil. And then the fruit that it bears takes on the character of that soil. And so if that soil is imbalanced and incomplete, guess what the fruit is? This is a problem if you're 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 in organic growing and everything like that, where the emphasis is on, on organic matter. The answer is compost, manure. Everything's compost and manure, and it'll solve it all. It's like saying that our life experience is complete and balanced. Because that's what organic matter is. It's everything that was once living or is living. And you're saying when you say that'll solve everything, that it that organic matter is complete and it's balanced. And so if I just put it on, it's going to provide complete and balanced solution. But how many of you feel like your life is complete and balanced? You know? So trying to finish this up, um, this session up, we have to look for the correct model. 
It has to be complete and balanced. It has to be universal. In other words, it has to answer. It has to be able to restore whatever soil it is. And it has to be restorative. And so then we can once we, so are we in agreement on that? That I can. Now, Jesus said, there's one last thing here. And I brought this up already. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is that exclusive? But I mean, it's exclusive in saying there's only one way. Right? The world says the opposite. The world says there's all kinds of ways now to to life. And they both can't be right. And so as we go through this and we start looking at this model, so we're going to start looking at, and I'm not sharing these things to, to say, oh, well, you should have known better or whatever. We don't. You know, how many people, when I came into the church, I learned the health through, it came in through the health message. It blew me away. I never heard it before. And I thought to myself, wow, why isn't this taught in schools? The reality is, folks, most of us just don't know. We don't understand. And the devil doesn't want us to understand. He doesn't want us to know. And so we, what we have to do is we have to go to the Word. We have to go to the earth and let it teach us. We have to go to the Word of God and we have to let it teach us. And we need to define what we consider the model by God's criteria and not the world's criteria. And then if we do that and then we understand how that, that model is constructed, we'll prosper. That's why I've had, I've had institutional leaders say, tell me, uh, agriculture is just not profitable. How many of you have been doing it a while? How many feel like it's profitable? <laughs> to be honest with me, you know, one of the interesting things when I travel through Kentucky, they still garden in Kentucky. And you'll see these beautiful gardens, the ground all nice and tilled up and everything, and get people get their plants all planted out there and stuff, and they look great till midsummer. And then you start driving by, and the weeds are all swallowing it up and the diseases and the bugs are eating it up and everything there's nothing more discouraging than that is there i mean yeah we want to be hopeful but if you put all that effort into something you want to bear fruit don't you you want something in return you you know to be gained by it and everything so i've been told that it's it's not profitable but it's not profitable because we're following the world's model the world's models if we follow god's model it will be profitable, and abundantly so. Um, God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think if we would just taste and see, we would discover. And I'm going to share a little bit about that you know, with when we do the evangelism part. of What happens? See, because it doesn't matter how you enter into a person's life with the truth. You can, you can enter into their lives with spiritual truths. You can enter into their lives by physically nourishing them with complete and balanced food. I had a another grower share with me. They were certified organic. They went to another label. I don't use any labels. I use a complete and balanced system. But they went to call themselves eco-organic. But the interesting thing she shared with me was, so you know, we associate we associate certain things with labels. So say with organic, we we associate clean, right, and nutritious. But do we know that it's true? But her point was, she said, my people, she, she gave up her certification because she said, I know my soil is incomplete and it's imbalanced. 
and my certification will not allow me to do the things that I need, I, I need to do in order to restore a complete and balanced growing system. And my customers want clean, nutritious food. That's what we want, isn't it? We want to be nourished. We want to be cleansed. We want life. And um, there's all these labels out here, and, and they, they really become marketing advantages more than they are actually true blessings. Now, that's not to say that there aren't people in different schools of thought that are that uh, have applied this. And believe it or not, you'll get pretty close to organic. You're going to get natural when you apply correct balance. But if you're if everything's all out of whack, and you need to supply something to restore balance, the the organic or the natural philosophy is that there's something evil about a purified element. But if it's needed. And in fact, I was sharing this with, with Sean earlier. When the world is all mixed up, the earth is all mixed up. So you have places that are toxic. You have places that are pretty good. You have other places not so good and everything. And so if we take those things and we bring them and we restore balance, we take where they're excessive and we bring them and we balance them to places where they're deficient, are we not stewarding the earth? Are we not restoring life to the earth by, by doing that? But that's, you know... If you take the world's philosophy, somehow or another, that's an evil. And so we got to get, you know, all the voices of the world out of our heads and start looking at what God's saying and what God has demonstrated and what he's made in order for us to, in order for us to prosper and for God to restore his image. And that's why the title was Understanding the Character of the Soil, Restoring the Image of God. Because in the process of restoring the character of the soil, it's the same process in restoring the image of God. Not just at that level, but all levels, spiritual level. So, are we in agreement? Can I go forward with uh, actually presenting this model? Is there a question? Yeah. Yes. More, more specifically, the Albrecht. The cation exchange, and more even more specifically than that, the cation exchange model. Um, you would be surprised. Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? Okay, well, you will when we're done. The cation exchange model is the model that research, soil science research uses all the time. But the average farmer didn't have a clue about it. How is that? Why is that? Because they don't want the farmer to have a clue about it. Because if they ever get an understanding of this, the agribusinesses will be largely out of business. Remember I said that the merchants of the earth are waxing rich? What are they waxing rich on? They're waxing rich on ignorance and superstition and fear. But what does God say? You'll know the truth, and what will the truth do? It'll make you free. And so... Well, they, they actually, they, they, and I have to end here because our time, time is up, but um, they know what the truth is. But they, in every discipline in life, they war against it. I am warred against all the time. And one of the things I was going to share with you is I don't have any credentials except 25 years of experience walking with the Lord and farming. That's all I have to bring to you. I, and, and so... People will say, well, who is he? What degree do you have? What, what, you know, why are you an expert in all of this? So uh, I'll leave it with you guys 
as to whether you think it's reasonable or not, what, what I share, what me and Sean both share. I'll leave it with you because I'm, I don't come to you with any credentials from the world or anything like that. But I know that it works. I know that life is restored and it's restored abundantly. And probably real quick here, I want to share this. I'm going to share in the evangelism and stuff again. But what happens when you do this, and this is why you can enter a person's life through the truth at any level, is I have people, and I know this firsthand, come to me and say, what do you do different than everybody else? When I go to bed, I sleep at night. When I get up in the morning, I feel refreshed. I get along better with my spouse. I look forward to the day. I'm more optimistic. I'm more hopeful. You know, and you could go down the list. I've heard all kinds of things. What do you do differently? And guess what I can share with them? What I do differently. So with lots of, let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm thankful that your word does set us free, your truth. And I just pray that we would be willing to receive that truth, that we would clearly and correctly understand it, and rightly divide your word. And I just pray for each of those represented here in this meeting, but also in this conference, that your glory would be seen and we would see how beautiful your character is and how life-giving it is. And I just pray that your spirit would remain here. Bless us in the time that we have to share this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Thank you.